0: What is up, movie friends? Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. I'm Anthony, and this is James. And today we're going to be doing Zack Snyder's Justice League, which just came out last week. Fueled by his restored faith in humanity and inspired by Superman's selfless act, Bruce Wayne enlists the help of newfound allies to face an even greater enemy. This was directed by Zack Snyder, screenplay by Chris Terrio, and story by Zack Snyder, Chris Terrio, and Will Beal. Zack Snyder's Justice League absolutely blew me away. I was completely surprised by how fantastic it was how emotionally resonant it was how personal it was how character driven it was and I was just astounded by this four-hour epic superhero film yeah it was it was my. It blew me away I had no idea it was going to be that good going in like obviously Joss Whedon's came out in 2017 and unfortunately the reason why Zack Snyder dropped out was because of Uh, the loss of his daughter so he dropped out of production so that's why joss whedon took over responsibilities of directing the rest of that film and you know obviously basically changed up a lot of stuff in that movie and Zack snyder you can look at this film as like sort of a redemption to get his vision out there of what he wanted the original film to be like and it's just too bad we couldn't get this film in 2017 because who knows what would have happened after that they probably would have made a second and third which would have been amazing because spoilers are gonna be all over this episode guys He, he sets it up so well for for at least one or two more justice league films and his artistic vision it's really on full display in this film and it's it's great to see him be able to have it come to fruition so kudos to warner brothers for letting him do this the best way you can support the show is go to patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Become a patron and get special perks like behind-the-scenes footage, personalized videos, and monthly shout-outs on the podcast. Head on over to Raiders com. Check out all of our new merch, all our custom movie posters. Find all of our sources of content. Again, check out our brand-new website, Raiders com. Subscribe on YouTube, follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star reviews. I think it also it salvaged Zack Snyder's reputation because... When the original film came out in 2017, I watched it and I thought it was just a bad film. And I even told you not to watch it. And what I had thought happened behind the scenes was that obviously we knew, we heard the news of Zack Snyder's family loss. What I thought happened was Zack Snyder shot like the majority of the film. And then Joss Whedon was just hired to finish the film that and Zack Snyder intended so I thought of just like put it together uh, and also finished like the last few weeks of principal photography so mm-hmm. I thought like everything was in the can and Joss was just finishing up the film and then the film that we saw in theaters I thought was Snyder's movie and I was honestly I like Zack Snyder a lot but I honestly he took a step down how I ranked him as a filmmaker because I thought Justice Justice League was such a misstep and none of it worked and it was just a, a flat out just not a very good film. And it was, it isn't until recently where we learned that Zack Snyder shot the entire Justice League movie and it was in post-production. He just had a few more, a couple more weeks of photography left but it was pretty much getting ready for post-production. And then when jo- Joss Whedon came on to take over, he didn't like the story. And so Whedon rewrote the entire thing, basically completely changing the, the film itself, except for very small moments and a few key action sequences. Otherwise, the entire Justice League that came out in twenty seventeen is Joss Whedon's movie, and so I was blown away when we saw this new one. Where I would say it has to be at least eighty five percent of the movie is completely new footage that we had never seen before. Not, not to mention just new footage, but the dialogue is completely different too. And yeah. I remember like months ago when we got hurt, hurt, uh, word of this happening and Zack Snyder making his cut for Justice League. I think we were both like, I mean, how much better could it be? Like, yeah, I was saying like, it, the movie sucks. Like, what's another? Like, what's in 30 minutes of more footage going to do? But it was seriously just a huge redemption for Zack Snyder. And also, it was just such a great thing for the fans. And I really love how Warner Brothers let this opportunity happen. And they treated it like a brand new film, brand new release, whole new marketing campaign. Fortunately, it was for streaming. So it was a lot easier to get it out there and get word out there. So a lot cheaper to put out as opposed to like running marketing campaigns for theaters and everything. But man, they treated it like a brand new release for a brand new movie. And I love that. But also... you. You got to take a step back from Warner Brothers as well, too, because they're the ones that made the decision to bring Whedon in and gave him all that control over the film that was pretty much already shot. So I, I say kudos to Warner Brothers, but also what the hell were you thinking by having them reshoot a whole movie? Yeah, especially when you found out, when we found out the other day how brilliant the movie was in terms of the story, not even talking about the visuals and, and the filmmaking, but the story's fantastic. So I don't understand why. They let Whedon change it so much. My guess is that because Whedon is such a wildly successful filmmaker for what he did with Avengers, my guess is that when he signed on to the project, it was contract stipulation where he had control over what he did. And it was, it was was they gave him permission to change the story because you make two great Avengers movies, it gives you a lot of clout to be able to salvage a, pro- a project that they thought was kind of in disarray. And so I think they just gave him too much power. And it's not like he was twirling his mustache like, I'm going to ruin it. I think that his intentions and the way he went about the story just did not work, whereas Zach was just brilliant in his de- depiction of the story. Yeah, we always talk about on this podcast that no one wants to make a bad movie. We don't like to yeah. talk badly about directors. Like Obviously, Joss Whedon was like, I'm going to sabotage Justice League so that Marvel looks People good. People really thought that. That's not what's yeah. happening. He's trying to make the best movie that he can, that he is thinks will make the most money and be best for fans, but... You know Joss Whedon in he makes the Avengers movies. They're totally different tone, totally different characters. And when you set up these characters with this dark tone, like DC and the dark elements involved, and then with Whedon, we, he oversaw script changes and he cut the run down, run down, he cut the runtime down to like two hours, which is what Warner Brothers ended up wanting. I think that Warner Brothers, the studio heads, they thought they could get another Avengers and they could just make a billion dollars off this movie real easy, and so. And they didn't even plan to release an alternate cut of Justice League. I, I I don't know if they got consumed with greed or just not caring or or that's the thing. I could run a, a movie studio so well of, of what projects would work, and it just they make such bad decisions, it blows my mind. Yeah, they went for the two hour runtime because that you with two hours you get to have more screenings of it, which means more options for people to go see the film, which means I mean in theory more ticket sales. But ultimately, they underestimated the fact that. Fans will go see a long film if it was if it's good because I mean Avengers Endgame was three and a half hours long so Lord of the Rings three hours long so I think they underestimated the fact that if the movie's great people will sit in the theaters for three hours four hours if they if they like the movie so and Avengers Endgame showed that a long movie can make over a billion dollars no problem so I think they were just concerned like let's make it short so that we can fit as many screenings each day into each cinema as we possibly can. It's like they didn't care about the characters anymore. Yeah. They didn't care about Zack Snyder's story or or what he was trying to do or his vision, which is such a such a bummer because obviously they made the wrong decision because I I, I liked Batman versus Superman and I liked how he was setting up Justice League, but obviously Justice League 2017 just was a bomb. And uh, just to go back on the run length, and it's really interesting to see this Obviously, we're dealing with the streaming war right now, with, with movie theaters being closed and starting to open back up, at all these streaming services and releasing movies online at the same time, or just only for streaming service, and it's really interesting to think about, and the possibility for these very long films, because as you just said, more screeners at movie theaters means more money if you have a two-hour movie you're going to make a ton more you can have much more ticket sales versus a four-hour movie in theaters so maybe you couldn't even do this four-hour version of justice league in movie theaters because a lot of movie theaters probably wouldn't want to do that because they wouldn't make any freaking money because you know a lot of studios and filmmakers they they have to take into account what movie theaters want in terms of length and size of their films this episode is sponsored by writer duet the new standard for screenwriting software Head on over to writerduet.com slash Raiders. Again, writerduet.com slash Raiders to sign up for a 30-day free trial of their subscription. Writer Duet makes the screenwriting process easy, streamlined. They have cloud-based access, and they make sure the format of your script is perfect and top-notch. Again, head on over to writerduet.com slash Raiders to sign up for a 30-day free trial of their subscription. And keep in mind, before Endgame which at the time was the longest superhero movie until now. The longest one before that was Stark Knight Rises, which was two hours, 45 minutes. And people thought that was pushing it for the length. So you can understand what they were thinking, but I think ultimately they made a mistake in terms of just how, if a gr- if film is great, people will pay to see it. And I think if this movie had come out, obviously they would have trimmed it down. It wouldn't have been four hours. It's yeah. only four hours because you're able to watch it at home and in- people are more likely to just sit down it's like a mini series almost and so i think if if it did come out it would have been trimmed down to three hours and yeah but i think it's so interesting to think about like now filmmakers can think i can put a three and a half hour movie i can make a four hour five hour movie if i want just have my entire vision out there for a project yeah scorsese's the irishman is three hours yeah if you think about that that we saw that in theaters but it was also one of those first films that was streaming on netflix and coming out in theaters at the same time and most people end up watching it streaming and so it's just really interesting that maybe a lot of filmmakers are going to kind of move towards that avenue if like because i can only stream i can make my four and a half hour masterpiece that is in my brain that's why david fincher is making streaming movies because he gets total control and freedom mm-hmm. and ultimately what the main difference i noticed with this justice league to the last justice league was the 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 whedon one it was so rushed I was very confused about what was happening with Steppenwolf and these mother boxes. Nothing was really explained. And on top of that, they rushed the team up to happen within the end of the first act. And you had no idea who Cyborg was. You didn't know anything about Arthur Curry. Um, Wonder Woman doesn't have her own opening sequence. and, And Barry Allen just has that scene with Batman. And when you watch the new one... Each character has so much character development before the team-up happens. I think the team-up happens, what, two hours into the movie pretty, almost? Pretty long in, yeah. And each character has, like, a few scenes on their own with their own storylines and characters that are relevant to their plots in their world. Like, uh, Victor has the scenes with his father. Barry Allen has that scene um, where we first see his powers when he is getting the job interview and the car accident happens. Arthur has the scene with Bruce and then with uh, Mira and the other Atlantans. Um And then... Wonder Woman has her scenes that set up the establishment of her character in this time and era and then Bruce Wayne has a lot of scenes with Alfred that were never in the first film and so on top of that the establishment of Steppenwolf his goal and what the mother boxes were it yes it took a long time to explain it all but for me it felt like it it was perfectly paced and it honestly flew by like by the time they teamed up I was on board with each character i felt invested in each character and i really understood the plot and the conflicts and what they were trying to do and also what the the villain was trying to do yeah we only took like a a couple minute break about halfway through like after like two hours 15 minutes we just took a bathroom break and just walked around a little bit and that's it but after that like i, I enjoyed every single minute of this film i could have watched another hour and a half two hours of it and the old justice league when you go back and like watch some of the scenes and watch some of the footage it's like Not to talk crap about Joss Whedon in the production. Obviously, you're trying to make a $250 million movie on the fly. And also trying to hit the deadline. Yeah. So they're rushed. It's it's not easy to do this, but some of it is so bad. And like the editing is, is garbage. And the green screen is really noticeably bad in some of those scenes. It looks like they even imposed like shots of like Bruce on top of like, old footage that they had of Bruce just like, cover his figure, and just the lighting and in, in green screen, it just, it didn't work, and the CGI was flat out bad. And it in just... terms of CGI, the worst thing happened was because Henry Cavill had a mustache when he was filming Mission Impossible Fallout, when they did the reshoots with Whedon, they did this horrible CGI of erasing his mustache on Henry Cavill's mouth, and it looked so unnatural, it looked laughable, and it just took you out of the film. Whenever Cavill was on screen, you just it was laughably bad how weird his mouth and nose looked. And, I mean, they should have just done a deep fake. It would have worked out better. They opened the movie with that. Yeah. They it, opened the movie with Superman's weird mouth moving. It's like, how do you do that? It was like uh, the first minute of the movie, you're like laughing at how bad the CGI is. And the heck, how, how are you going to take the movie seriously from then on? And, yeah. And the tone, it was just so light and, and corny at times. And the thing I love about... Zack Snyder's is obviously there are funny beats you know they're really good they're see- funny moments yeah. but the thing with the funny beats in Zack Snyder's in Zack Snyder's Justice League it's really just coming from Barry Allen. Barry Allen is like the only comic relief which is great because in, in Joss Whedon's version everyone's a freaking stand up comedian kind of like not that I don't like that in the Avengers it works really well in the Avengers because they're such charming guys and they set those characters up that way but then when you make every character in Justice League after having dark movies just throwing one-liners all day and just making jokes about brunch and then wonder woman at the end of the climax in the film like saying oh i work with boys i work with boys." it does not work well for me at all and just even batman having his jokes it just doesn't make sense It just makes it works so much better when just it's just barry allen and almost all of his jokes hit in the movie because that works for the characters because these characters are they're serious people i mean uh, Diana is five thousand years old batman is a dark guy and and Arthur seems to be a troubled person. He's like, he drinks all the time and he, he has serious family problems. And Barry Allen's an immature kid. And Cyborg has yeah. probably gone through more trauma than yeah. anybody. So Why would he be throwing one liners? It doesn't make sense for them to be pulling out these sarcastic quips all the time. And so you're right, the tone that we didn't change it to being more funny did not work at all. And we talked about, um, uh, we were talking about Batman recently. And the new Batman and how Warner Brothers is is finally embracing because of Joker's success, the dark tone of their universe and embracing the dark side of it. It's okay to be serious. It's okay to not be a a hilarious movie. Uh, In this movie, it's very serious, but it does have really great comedic beats that make you laugh out loud. But they're. Sporadic in their pace throughout the movie. Yeah, and again, it's mostly coming from Barry Allen. It works so well. Even there's one, there's a few that Lois had in the other one. It's like, that. What is, what is she talking about? Like, is it, she's, in, she's mourning. But um, the first thing you notice in this film is the aspect ratio. 4 to 3 aspect ratio and I, I saw online people were so disappointed by it, and they hated it, but people I, hated I it I loved it I loved every second of the aspect ratio. I remember when it was on I'm like oh What are we doing like a flashback going back in time? This is so cool, and then it never changed We were like this is awesome because he shot this for IMAX and that would have looked incredible on IMAX the the tall frame and like kind of like the pretty much the full frame of what the film would basically so, be like yeah the, IMAX. Four, the 4 3 format what it does is it fills completely a screen in a movie theater because the, all the in screens, IMAX yeah and like most movie theaters they're not widescreen so even if like, a, an, like an anamorphic uh, film is playing there'll be the black bars on top and bottom but you don't notice it because the whole theater is dark but most movie screens are pretty close to the three format so what it would do is just fill out the entire screen as much as it can. And I love that he kept that for even the streaming version because it looks amazing and, and like obviously it takes, it's like 3D, it takes your brain a few minutes to get used to, but once you're in, you don't even notice it and it just reminds me, it makes me think so much of comic books in a way because that's a lot of the images and graphics in comic books are these small squares. So it kind of harkens to that for me in a way when I watched it like that. Just from the first few minutes of footage, because obviously Zack Snyder has always been a, a brilliantly uh, a brilliant visual director his films have great cinematography and imagery and this is his best shot movie it's got really stunning cinematography uh, just beautiful filmmaking and camera work and i was just blown away at the artistry of the of the craft of the filmmaking not to say marvel movies are really well made but they're not like stunningly beautiful uh, gorgeous cinematography with cool lenses and great styles of filmmaking they're all it's like very high class caliber filmmaking in marvel but like this movie is just a gorgeous piece of cinema and i think the cinematographer um fabian wagner did an amazing job with this and they shot on film and it's just a beautiful film to look at yeah Zack snyder this movie makes me just affirm to me that he's a visual genius he's a visionary and a lot a lot of people they don't like man of steel they don't like batman versus superman like they like 300 but i think that he's just such a a smart guy and he has so much in his brain he's so creative and he's just when he's directed i'll watch any movie he directs at this point after seeing this because it just blew me away every minute of it and and another thing that i loved about this movie is it's rated R it's a hard R too there there is some serious gore there is blood uh, snyder i think what he does brilliantly is that he's showing what these superpower beings can do to just mere mortals and humans like us. Like, if if Wonder Woman punches a, a guy, he's going to fly across the room and smash his head into the wall, and he's dead. Like a ping pong ball. Yeah, it's, and it, it was amazing to see how these super beings have physical contact with just mortals. Like, the amount of impact and damage that they can do. And also, Steppenwolf is just destroying people. And you're seeing, like, because in the, in the Whedon one, he has he has the same giant, huge axe that he just wields but whenever he hit people with it they it would just like bash against them but in this movie he's cutting people up he's slicing and dicing you know what i mean and there, i mean for me i like to see the i like to see bloody violence in situations like this because it makes it feel real it makes the violence feel like it has a real impact when you're seeing people actually dying and, and their bodies are being broken by these attacks it makes it feel more raw this episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off. Again, Raiders of the Lost at checkout. 20% off. Over 2 million men are currently using Manscaped products, especially their Lawnmower 3.0 groomer, which has a built-in light. It's sensitive to your skin, sensitive to the touch. And you can use it in the shower. It's waterproof. It's the best clippers I've ever used in my life. Don't let lockdown get to you it's starting to open up. So if you've been been lazy about taking care of yourself, you gotta get on this fellas. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an amazing gift for the fellas and men in your life. Go to manscaped.com. Again, 20% off and free shipping with our coupon code Raiders of the Lost. The action in this movie is incredible. I mean, just the uh, the heist scene with one woman's opening where she's stopping those those armed men. It's incredible. I've never seen one I've never seen Wonder Woman movie like that, and like fight people like that. Like I wish we could get an entire Wonder woman, woman movie with that kind of action, where she just moves so fast and she just barely touches people, and they're like you said, flying against the wall, like mm-hmm. like like uh, bugs on a wall, like in a car. And it's it's so cool. It's breathtaking. It's engrossing. And again, it, like you said, it makes you truly understand how powerful these beings really are because they are gods. Yeah. So let's go character by character and talk about not necessarily so much what the differences are, but what their new themes are in the film, starting, I think, with Steppenwolf, because it turned into being a crappy villain to, like, what a badass this guy was. His incredible design. He has this really cool, organic spike armor that just it moves when he breathes and during his movements. And he has, like, this great backstory, too, where you kind of empathize with Steppenwolf a little bit because he's he's seeking redemption, in a way, and he's trying to get the honor back on dark side and it's it's a really interesting villain and it's such an improvement on the first one because the first film you had no idea who this guy was you didn't know why he was getting the mother boxes all you thought was like oh he wants to destroy the world but he had no character development or motivation and so i was just confused about what the whole what his whole deal was they didn't even explain how he sh- knew the mother boxes woke up and why they woke up and he, he just shows up in the first one out of nowhere and you're like who is this guy and the character design was just, it looked like a cheap video game. And Snyder's version of Steppenwolf, like you said, the armor is fantastic. It, it kind of reminds me of the organic technology in Man of Steel, how the, the ships in that black matter that can change. So I think it has a similar um, concept as that. And like you said, you understand, you can kind of empathize and understand with him because he's motivated, he's trying to right the wrongs of his past and like you said, gain Dark Side's favor. And I think that every time he showed up in this movie, it was it was scary. Like, you really felt for the characters, and you're like, oh, my God, like, how are they ever going to stop this guy without Superman? Because they all lost to him. And, and even the battle on Themyscira with the Amazons, it's incredible how unstoppable he was. But the Amazons put up a great fight. But it's just the action, again, was incredible in that scene. And then, obviously, Side is this truly evil, horrific villain. We learn that he's destroyed hundreds and thousands of worlds, and he's he's killed tens of thousands of super beings and go- beings and gods, and he's trying to take over basically the entire existence of life. That's his goal. Not like Thanos, who wants to make balance in the universe. Dark Side wants to just take over existence in general. Yeah, and sometimes it's good to just have a villain who just wants to kill everything. It it, it gets scary because Thanos very intimidating but i wouldn't call him like scary but dark side is terrifying and when you learn the backstory and you learn a, I, I love that sequence um that ancient battle sequence where he at first tried to take over earth um when he discovered the the what do you call it the formula the anti the, the antimatter matter formula is it antimatter? yeah no the anti-life Anti-Life Equation. The Anti-Life Equation, and then you see the ancient um, gods and power beings fight that really great battle. You see a Green Lantern. Uh, it was in the in the first film, they showed a little bit of that, but they didn't really show the battle, and I I loved it. It felt like it was like the ancient Avengers. Yeah, you the know War I mean? of the Gods. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool to get that scene because there's it also gives the backstory of the Amazonians, the Atlanteans, and then the, the tribes of of mankind and, and then there's Zeus in it and yeah Zeus yeah. who's been hitting the gym hard on yeah, Olympus Yeah, and then Ares <laughs> who was the villain in the first Wonder Woman he showed he was there too yeah yeah and so it was really incredible to get the backstory on Darkseid's motivations and also it kind of explains of the gods in a way in mythology and it's super fun to see Zeus battle that we never really see that whenever like when we watch mythology greek mythology films like what was the one that sam worthington was on in clash of the titans yeah zeus doesn't really fight that much and it's cool to see him in the battlefield just like beating beating mother effers up and hold on jar butler yeah it's really cool and and i i love that aspect and we learn it sets up the plot going forward about how these ancient cultures and ancient beings who have all lived on Earth at the same time, how they set separate, and we learn about the Amazonians and Atlanteans, how they haven't spoken to each other in thousands of years, and how they've had wars against each other. But what it really takes, and it sets up Justice League, is all these these people and these gods and these beings all have to come together to be able to stop Dark Side and to stop evil and to save the planet because it's all our home. And I I really. In- Enjoy Dark Side in this movie. He's not even in the first movie at all, not at all. It's, I, th- I think he might be in that ancient sequence battle for like a second, but uh, like when this film ends, and also when Steppenwolf is, speaks to Dark Side for the first time in the latter half of the film, they're doing like that um, communication through uh, gap through the galaxy. Uh, but when the film ends and you see the setup of Dark Side coming into the a potential sequel. I was so amped when he you you see his giant armada and fleet and army behind him and he's I it's just so it was so exciting. It felt like he was like this dark Sith lord with this gigantic army on his side and it seems much more intimidating from dark side like that looks like an army of of evil universe aliens. It's incredible and and I that's one of the biggest disappointments of Justice League Zack Snyder's version is not that it's so not because it's great because it is but because of how he sets it up for these sequels that you just wish you could see and it seems like they're never going to go into development and he sets up for at least maybe one or two Justice League sequels and man when at the end when they threw they throw Steppenwolf through and Wonder Woman slices his head off and they both go oh through that God. portal and Darkseid's just like I'm not ready to go through there yet because we got soups here and he's and I don't <laughs> think I'm gonna mess with these, these these guys on earth at this moment and so he's gonna and then he says that they're just gonna go after earth the old way and it's just like what could have been is just the biggest disappointment of all I think and like you just mentioned, Wonder Woman slices his head off. I love Zack because he shows that, you know what, it's okay to kill the bad guy. It's okay to, to chop their head off, you know. And like Wonder Woman uh, kills that guy, the terrorist. Uh, she, he, she literally just blows him up with her with her bands. And I love that. It's okay to kill someone. I mean, the guy was about to shoot her, so she's justified. So I think that with Marvel, you never see anyone actually like killing anyone until like and if they do die, it's something weird, like they dissolve. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's it's I love to see when the heroes like this this burst this being is trying to murder the entire planet. It's okay to slice his head off. It, you know what I mean? It's 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 justified. Yeah. One woman killing that guy, that terrorist. I loved it because if you're gonna shoot kids and you're gonna kill innocent children, you deserve to get wiped off the face of the earth. So yeah. that's pretty much I think that is totally deserved on the on on that end for sure. Let's talk about Diana because we're already on it. And what an opening. This opening terrorist scene that she's stopping. Again, the action is incredible. Not that Patty Jenkins' action in the Wonder Woman films aren't great because it is. And I love like Crossing No Man's Land. That's one of my favorite scenes in those films. But the action from Wonder Woman in this movie, it was as mind-blowing as the first time I saw Man of Steel to see what these super beings actually can do when they're going up against like human beings and just, again, ping pong balls bouncing them off the walls. Yeah, the physics of it, to yeah. see how powerful they are compared to us. And uh, there was so much, like, in the trailer for the first Justice League, there's all this Zack Snyder footage that we never saw in the movie. And a lot of this Diana stuff was ne- was not shown in the Justice, in, Zac- in Josh Whedon's one. I think the first Diana scene um, in Justice League Whedon one is when she's uh, painting the sculpture at work. And then next, it's like her and Bruce so there's nothing establishing her storyline or arc or character development at all. But in this film, Diana has so much character development and such a long arc before the team up even happens. And that opening scene, I, I it's one of my favorite action sequences in all of the DC movies. And it was so brilliant. And I love that we get to see Themyscira again. There's a lot of time spent with the um, Amazons and especially her mother, the queen. And I just loved seeing because at in the first version, it was like, man, they really just jumbled this all together and it doesn't make any sense. But with this one, they included all these extended characters in a really nuanced and brilliant way that were vital to the plot. Because like the queen was vital to the plot of discovering that Steppenwolf had arrived, and then also sending the message to Diana, which allowed her to discover that tomb, which had the entire history of the dark sides of Darkseid's first invasion. Um, painted on the murals of the wall. This episode is also sponsored by MoviePosters.com. Use our coupon code RAIDERS15 to get 15% off your order today. MoviePosters.com is the number one place to get your posters online today. If you're a fan of movies and TV shows, there's no better way to express that love than with a poster. Also, head to our website, RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com, to check out our custom-made movie posters James and I made uh, spoofs of The Shining, Lethal Weapon, as well as our classic Raiders design. They can be found on our website, which is being sold by MoviePosters.com. Again, use our coupon code RAIDERS15 to get 15% off your order today at MoviePosters.com. Also, real quick, just on the action, her her sequence where she's stopping the bullets was incredible. Yeah, that was one of the, the coolest things I've yeah. ever seen. But yeah, to it's a, it's a stay on here because it ties in with Diane, obviously, is, and we get to see, I think... So much more of their culture. I think that's what Zach brought to this film with the Amazonians and Themiseras. Even in Wonder Woman, the second one, we got some of the culture in terms of, yeah, that opening Olympic Games, but I wouldn't say that's too much like going into their culture. But we learned about like that golden suit and that 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 one Amazon that's that stopped an army or fended off an army with it. Um but I think we learned more about their mythology and just the aesthetic of Themisera and also you learn so much more about them as people in terms of how they fight so bravely against any foe they have no fear they show no fear against this alien invasion that's coming inside their tomb that they're waiting for and then the queen the pain that she has to go through to sacrifice some of her amazonian women to try to save that that the situation to take the box and drop dark side into the in the tomb under the water so it's it's really a great emotional sequence and then we have the the incredible, like basically, baton race of the of the the mother box mm-hmm. between all the Amazonians trying to keep it away from darksa I mean, from uh, Steppenwolf. Yeah, it's an intense action sequence, and uh, that was in the first film as well, but it was a little different as well. That he cut some things and he changed some things, but it ended the same way. Yeah, I said Darkseid. I meant Steppenwolf, by the yeah. way. Sorry, uh, guys. Oh yeah, um, yeah, no worries. And I really enjoyed how they um, communicated with Diana. Because I mean, I guess that you're not gonna give them an iPhone Sarah, <laughs> yeah, and so they shot that um, ancient arrow, and I love how it they have this establishing uh, they have establishing areas and locations across the world, like ancient ruins and ancient monuments that they are are using to communicate with Diana in terms of that monument that the arrow lands in and is like the that it's got the it's on fire, and I love how they communicate with Diana, and it's vital to the plot because Diana discovers who dark Side is. And the first film, she went right into the Dark Side story like immediately. Like, I gotta say like 15 minutes in maybe. But this is like an hour into the movie at least. Maybe even longer. And so we've really invested into the story already. And then we're told who this guy is, what he's doing, and who his uh, uh, leader is. Yeah, and that flame that's lit with the arrow, it basically is telling her that there's an invasion and it's already happening on Earth right now. Diane is also vital to bringing the team together, especially with Cyborg, because she's, you see that there's hints of her she's still dealing with the loss of Trevor. And she mentions to Bruce that like she knew a pilot who would love to fly his ship. and um, But she manages to convince Cyborg to join the team because of the loss that she's been through, um, he relates to. And making this human connection to Cyborg is what makes him agree to become part of this team. So she is very important to the team being a, a cohesive unit. Yeah, and she comes to find Bruce after she finds out basically about the invasion. And and Bruce and Batman, I love his character in this film compared to Justice League 2017 because the thing with Bruce with Justice League and Batman is he's the only mortal, really. He's the only human being. So for him, there's no point of him being on the team. Ob- obviously, he's... He's a superhero, and he's got his, his immense wealth and his genius intellect and his technology. But really, there's no there's no reason for him to be a part of the team unless he's the leader, unless he's getting everybody together, unless he's motivating everyone, unless he's he's making everyone fight together as a team. And that's, again, his, one of his main plot points in this film is he's in charge of rounding everybody up and, and being that leader of the Justice League and forming it. And he understands that he spent so much energy and time dividing all these heroes before this sequence and before this, these events, that it was a mistake. And his vengeance that he seeked against Superman was mistaken. And again, he would serve no purpose if he didn't try to change that and bring everyone together to defend Earth. And also, this Batman, Bruce Wayne, feels more traditional to the character because in the first Justice League, there are like no scenes of him and and um Alfred together. And in this movie, there's like four... Entertaining, um, short scenes with him and Alfred, and it feels like, oh, this is Bruce Wayne. Here's Alfred. Here's his Batcave. Here's his tech. Here's his gear. Here's his his Batmobile. It's like it feels like a Batman character. And it feels like a Bruce Wayne character. Whereas the first Justice League, you only saw Batman when he's with the others, and is when he's either with and when he's Bruce Wayne, he's either with Diana or or he's with the entire team. And so with this film, it felt like, okay, this is Bruce Wayne. We haven't really seen this. We saw a. a plenty of it in it's Batman versus Superman but not in the first Justice League. And on top of that, I really was blown away by the action sequence at the end of the film when Batman is just tearing apart that city with his Batmobile. It was unbelievable action sequence. It's one of my favorite Batman scenes ever. Yeah, and I was screaming like how crazy it is because again, Batman's mortal and he's going into this battle against aliens and gods fully exposed. All he, his 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 windshield ripped off his Batmobile and he's still fearless and and even Aquaman he's like you really are out of your mind or he's like you really are crazy and he's like absolutely I'm nuts this is awesome you guys are all gods and I'm just a man so let's go and that's what I love about Batman so much is his fearlessness and his incredible discipline and drive and also we didn't change the character to be have like this romantic courtship kind of thing with Diana like in the first justice like there's this part where when the team is just like chilling at his base, He goes into another room, and he takes off his suit, and he's wearing, like, a... It's like an Under Armour shirt, and his shoulder's hurt, and that Diana starts massaging his shoulder. And he's like, this is... What the hell is going on? Like, this is a Justice League movie? And there's none of that in this movie. Like, there's a a couple funny beats where, like, they kind of have chemistry, but it's like, they're they're avoiding any kind of, like, intimacy or even pursuing that. Yeah, it's like two lines, that's it. And that's it, and that's all you need. But in the the Whedon one, it was, like, so forced. It was the same thing as, like... Black Widow and Bruce Banner, like, just start being in a relationship out of nowhere and being in love. Like, where did that come from? And in Joss Whedon's, they also have some very intense argument scenes where he like uses Trevor against her to to piss her off and like yeah. she, so that that scene where she pushes it pushes him against the ship and everything. It's like, why is this happening? Well, we didn't he used a lot of the same beats he did in the first Avengers movies for this one. So mm-hmm. with that scene, it's the same thing as when they're on the aircraft in Avengers right. and they all start arguing and then in Stark's like talking to um Cap like The only thing there's the only special thing for you came out of a bottle, and then Cap's like, if take off your suit of armor, what are you? So he and then also there's another scene, um, in the first fight of Justice League where, uh, Flash and Wonder Woman fall down, and Flash lands on top of Diana. Yeah, and there's that awkward like, oh, and the same thing happened in Ultron when when uh, Natasha landed on top when no when uh Banner landed on top of Natasha, during that first Ultron scene, and it's like the same awkward beat. So. He used a lot of the same beats and literally scene points that in the Avengers movies that he put into this one. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think one of the things I didn't like that we did at the at the end of Justice League 2017 is is how campy everything was at the climax when Superman so shows up and they're just like beating him up and they're just having like a great old time. It's like, oh, who wants to turn with it? Oh, you're still wor- this guy's still bothering you. It's like, are you kidding me? It's kind of like when they. I love it in Avengers when they, like, go get the shawarma, but I would say that's, like, a similar beat in a way. And also, I really hated how we didn't change the demon, those demon-flying demons, like, they smelled fear, and, like, they were attracted to fear. So if anyone who's afraid of them, then they would go after them. I thought it was dumb. And then the end of the movie, when they start beating up Steppenwolf, then the demons attack Steppenwolf because he's afraid, and like they, sm- and then Bruce Wayne's like they smell his fear, and then it's like <laughs> what? And then they drag him through the portal, and it's over, and it was like what? What do you mean they smell fear? Like what are they? They're not motivated by Steppenwolf. They're motivated. Then what are they doing here? It didn't make any sense. Where as this one, it's nor it makes total sense that they're they're loyal to Dark Side, and and Steppenwolf is working in Dark Side's favor, so they're loyal to Steppenwolf. And I also like that with Batman, they didn't set up like a opening fight scene to show Batman at at his powers and what he does on a daily basis in terms of fighting crime, which they did in Justice League 2017. They just showed him building the team. That's all he was there for. They didn't have to show him stopping a bad guy on a roof and then saving the day in the city. We saw a whole movie with him doing that. Yeah, we already know who he is, but I think it's important to set up all the other characters with that. Like with Barry Allen, the Flash, and his great opening scene, and his great action sequence of Going to get – trying to get that job at the uh, the dog place and then saving – The dog place. The dog place. The dog, the, the dog walking place. What was the dog walking place? Is it like a vet? is it Or is it a pet shop? Pet shop. Pet yeah. shop. Yeah, he's at the pet shop. And he saves the young woman that uh, is getting hit by the truck. And it's just so amazing. And and we truly see – I think this is the greatest interpretation of the Flash. And even compared to like Quicksilver Silver in a way, that's so cool. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it's charming – it's dramatic. It's it's romantic, and you get to see a lot of character development just in this two minute sequence for Barry, where you learn he's like he's immature and he's not very good at being an adult, and like his resume is a mess, and and he's just like it's kind of aloof and and doesn't take things seriously, but he's funny and he means well and he's and he's charming, and then also when he when I love the powers because it's not like he just runs fast. What happens is when he's about to use his powers, you see these bolts of lightning, which means that it's like he's tapping into his abilities. And so time is, it's not like he just starts running. It's like he slows time down and then he just moves through the, through the new slow down time. You know what I mean? And so it's like he changes everything. He changes the world around him is what happens. Yeah, well what ha- well, he explains it decently to to Batman when Batman comes to his finds him in his lair and he throws the battering at him and he's the thing I love about Barry is he always seems hesitant to use his powers in a way. Like he's like, "Oh man, I don't really want to have to do this because in a way it doesn't it seems like he doesn't want to have these abilities and kind of like his the the conversations he has with his father. It's like he's battling between pursuing his his passion with his powers. Or trying to live like a normal life of getting a job which is it seems like what his father wants despite being in jail and he always like has that look of hesitation when his powers are about to to work for him and it even happens with the bat ring where he's like watching he's like oh man i have to do this and he's like has the bat ring that's really cool Mm -hmm. and the thing with his powers he describes it as he enters like a different dimension that's kind of like how he how he says it to batman after they leave his little warehouse and it obviously ties into later, in which I think they would have explored more in the other Justice Leagues, is how he can basically travel back in time or go forwards in time, which is really cool. Yeah, because it's hinted at in Batman vs Superman where, where the Flash shows up at Bruce's desk and warns that it's like the is the key, and then he disappears. And then in the first Justice League, like you were like, what about the thing with Barry? What about, is that going to be told, t- told to us at all? Yeah. And so it was good to see that. And, and also, I, I love Barry in this movie. And, and like all the other characters we'll get to the others you have a personal emotional connection to him because his father's in prison and you know his father's trying to make him avoid the mistakes that he made and he's trying to make sure his son follows a straight narrow path of of doing something good with his life and being responsible and accountable and and then also he, like you said he's struggling with trying to be a superhero and obviously he's been he he designed his own suit that works with his powers and and I really adored how ultimately Barry saved the world on his own, because the the climax of the film things don't go according to plan and th- it starts falling apart and then Dark Side is about to win and he literally is in the process of destroying the entire planet when Barry Steppenwolf 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 is in the well no I feel like Dark Side did the power when the mother box is connected because he was the portal was open okay yeah. I think it might have been Dark Side who did it to destroy the world the planet and then barry finally heals up his wound which i thought was really cool how he can heal his wound kind of like quickly like wolverine just because fast yeah because like fast heal. Yeah, cause he's spending so much time quickly you know what i mean it's just like natural but it, it's super fast for him and then he literally reverses time and it's a beautiful sequence it's so well shot and uh i i really adored the how he solved the the problem at the end of the film and basically saved the day himself yeah and i love the the aspect that we learn about his powers and they he shows it really well snyder with the scene where he's saving the young woman where he he produces so much force by just the minimal touch when he's using his powers when he's in this other dimension that he has to very gently touch somebody to save them or or even to, to just to act with matter without destroying it in a way it shows that again i think if they with the new flash film, they're just gonna explore that. And it's yeah. gonna be really interesting to see what they do with Barry's powers. And it seems almost limitless in a way what he can do. But also he has restrictions because he's not super he's not a super powerful being. Yeah. Like he can get if someone hits him, he's messed up. He's vulnerable. So, so like that scene where Superman has just woken up and he's attacking everyone, and then Barry is surprised to see when he's running around Superman and Kal-El just like starts falling with his eyes and his head and he, and there's that great face that Ezra Miller does he's like so he's like oh my god he can see me <laughs> and then when Superman starts attacking him and throwing haymakers and Flash is barely getting out of the way like you know if if he gets hit with one of those he's dead he's dead yeah, yeah. so he does have a vulnerability to him which is so fascinating and i think there are two p- parts in this film where you actually get significant wounds and you're right if he takes a single blow from from Superman, he's gonna die. It's just like how Batman is in that way where, when Be- when Batman's coming face to face with Kal El after he wakes up, he doesn't even try to fight him because he knows there's no point. He just tries. He just stands there and looks at him in hoping that Kal El will recognize him or Kal El will come to at some point because there's nothing that he can do. Yeah. As opposed to Aquaman and Diana, they can actually put up a fight and yeah. they won't die from getting hit by him. Yeah. And I love want to talk about Superman how about we do him last, last let's, okay. let's do cyborg okay so victor who ha- has a huge role in this film which was completely d- eliminated in Whedon's version 100 percent, like just cut out like it there's so much story about him that's so integral to this to the entire plot of the film and it's integral to the mother boxes and the technology involved with the mother boxes and and just all around how they have to stop it and it's such a fascinating character, Cyborg. And he's he's kind of like him and Barry, are like the MVPs of this movie. because They really are. They're like the most important characters in the film, I think. And that's what's ironic because the first movie, they had such a little screen time and they barely had anything on their own in the first film. But with this film, especially with Victor, he, you, he is the heart of the movie in a lot of ways. And his story is so deeply personal and emotional and how he became Cyborg. Uh, it's like... They, they had a little mini-movie of Cyborg in yeah. this, inside of this movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you really felt for Victor and understood the, the conflict that he was dealing with of just questioning his humanity and feeling as though he had been turned into this Frankenstein-esque monster where all his father, Dr. Stone, was trying to do was trying to save his life because he's trying to redeem himself for being a bad father and, and feeling responsible for the loss of his wife and the near-death and um, uh, body mutilation of his own son. And it's a deeply resonant story and Dr. Stone does play a vital role in the story because uh, what what ends up happening is uh, during one of the encounters with uh, Steppenwolf, when he's about to get that mother box inside of the laboratory, Dr. Stone shoots the laser at it. And we think at first he's trying to destroy the mother box, but what he does, which is set up early in the film with the scientists um, saying that this matter can hold in intense amounts of heat without being hot on the outside. And so what he does is he superheats the, the mother box to become the hottest thing on Earth, which is how they're able to trace Steppenwolf, Steppenwolf's base. Whereas in the first film, I can't remember exactly how, but it, I, it seemed very, it was very sketchy and skeptical how they even found Steppenwolf's base. Yeah, that's such a nuanced and compelling sacrifice for a person to give in a superhero movie. It's incredible. And in and, and Victor, his incredible backstory of him on the football team, he's this a certified genius. He's tries to do good for his friends and like w- the scene where he's in trouble with the I think the dean of his of his university because he helped bump somebody's grades in by hacking into the system and then but it sets up the conflict he has with his father at the football game when he scores the game winning touchdown and he looks in the stands and his father's seat is empty and he's not there he's held up at the lab and this ties into later when after the car accident when his father won't let him die and he he uses the mother box that he learned figure out how to open up and to activate to to save his life not knowing what it would do and this this sets up the conflict that cyborg has where he completely blames his father for his mother's death and for the monster that he created and he he can't even look at his father and one of the most telling parts is when his father they're in the apartment together, and he has the tape recorder, he's trying to explain to Cyborg what, he, what kind of gifts he has and what his powers are and how limitless he is. And he's probably one of the most important beings on the planet because he can control everything basically with his, his digital uh, interface and, and, his, and his basically his, his cyborg technology. And, and he listens to everything that his father says in terms of what he can do, speaking to him as a scientist. But as soon as his father is about to open up to him and speak like a father, he crushes the tape recorder and won't listen to it. And on top of that, I think Zack Snyder displayed in a visual way, the representation of how Cyborg interacts with the digital world. Like when he's looking at the stock market, there's, there's a bull and a bear. And because what his father explains is that because he's so immensely genius and he's basically like an AI, uh, very complex things and concepts for us are simple. And childlike to him, and so Z- snyder Snyder had made this great, amazing sequence of he's in like this digital world where he's interacting with things, and like he gives that poor woman money, and it's just like literally for him giving this woman money, which would be hacking into the system. he literally just like uses his hands to make the the money pile bigger, but for that's for him because he's such an intellect- like a gigantically genius like supercomputer. supercomputer. It look that's what the representation is for him. Where for us it would be like hacking into the system, it super complex. And it was a bri- a brilliant way to depict visually how his mind works. Now, and, and I love how Zach Snyder goes into that like virtual world in a way, and it's sort of like plugging into the Matrix and cyborgs, and like his visual representation of how he sees himself and his varsity jacket, and he's human again. And mm. it's really cool and fascinating to see him interacting with those environments to kind of show us in a way what's going on in his head when he's doing these things. And then also that comes back at the end of the film when he's trying to separate the boxes. And it seems as though the technology of the mother boxes is trying to take it is trying to dissuade him and corrupt him when they say, oh if you stop, well, you'll you'll be reunited with his family. So, because the mother boxes are organic technology, even greater than him, they're able to enter that sphere as well to try and manipulate him. Yeah, but the whole point of this backstory and and showing this conflict and the trauma and pain in his past is to set up throughout the film his relationship with his father and how important it is to the story and the plot. And he finally shows his his feelings for his dad when when they're trying to do, do the first sneak in attack on Steppenwolf at that big tunnel area um by the harbor where steppenwolf is interrogating his father among uh, some other people and as soon as cyborg sees his father being interrogated by steppenwolf he forgets the plan of attacking together and he goes up there to try to stop steppenwolf and save his father and this is the first time he shows any actual care and love for his father since becoming cyborg yeah and then also when he finally when he sees his father die That's when he understood that he really did love his father very much. And losing him was a big turning point for him. And that's when he decided that he's going to sacrifice himself, if he has to, to save the world. because, Just like his father did. Yeah, those are the gifts that were given to him. And Diana wants him to use them, and so he's going to use it. But also, again, it's because of his father's sacrifice for him and for the world. That's what allows, I think, Cyborg to want to help save the world as well. Yeah. And I think Cyborg's powers are just... So cool and fascinating in this film and his flying ability is, is phenomenal. It's basically like a human being jet engine. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really cool the way he flies and it all it's cool to watch him learn what he can do and his blasters and the extra like arms that he has that come out from behind him. And he just seems like a supremely powerful being as well. And also it's the alien technology which is so fascinating. Yeah, I would I would totally be down to see a solo cyborg movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's fascinating. He's a really interesting character. Yeah, he's awesome. And then I really enjoyed this interpretation of Aquaman. This was the first time we saw Aquaman, and Jason Momoa was a perfect choice by Snyder because he went so against type for the typical-looking Aquaman from the comics, and it made him feel like he's a native from a different uh, part of the world, like Samoan. Um, it, it has, And he's got these tattoos that they actually let, you, let him use in the film. And so it really feels like an international type of person because Aquaman, I think, being this white blonde guy just doesn't feel right. But making him be have a person making him be a person of color and from different kind of heritage worked really well. Yeah. And then we just, obviously Aquaman came out in what, 2018? 2019. 2019. Yeah. But it was again, this is so cool. And he's he's such a badass in this film. And I love his powers and his abilities when he's in the water. But also Aquaman's also going through his own dilemma as well where he's refusing to to take the crown of Atlantis, and he's refu- and he's, he's turning his back on his people in a way, basically. He won't accept it, and he doesn't want to fall in those footsteps. He still has animosity towards his mother for, for leaving him on Earth by himself with that family. And, and he, he doesn't understand yet that his mother was trying to save his life, and that it's his responsibility now that Steppenwolf is back. That he has to take his mother's Trident and he has to defend the Earth and he has to go up onto the surface to stop Steppenwolf after he successfully gets the box from Atlantis. Yeah, I love the interpretation of the character because he's, he's basically like a wayward vagabond without a home, really. He, but he is a good moral person. Like he, he provides food for those villagers. And by the way, there's that great sequence where they sing that that song. It seems to be like an ancient song and a mythical song because they know of like this godlike figure so like they kind of i think they kind of like worship him out of thanks and gratitude for what he does for the community and then also uh, he's he he drinks a lot and he doesn't want any part of saving the world he doesn't want any part of having a community even though he does help that community he's not part of it really i think he, he's a stubborn lone wolf who who doesn't want to accept anyone he doesn't want to allow anyone into his life because i think he felt that he was rejected by his mother which did a real toll psychologically as a per, as a young boy and as an adult, where I think he just rejects any other kind of community and any kind of love. Yeah, he just wants to be alone, and that's why Willem Dafoe, who's awesome Will in this him. movie, so, that suit he wears is so badass, yeah. and he's, he's asking him, you know, you're here again, and basically Aquaman goes to that throne of his father and— because it's quiet and calm, and he likes it like that. And I love the, the, the concept of the air bubbles underwater so they can communicate and, and, yeah. and speak really well. It's really cool. I liked it a lot. But they changed that. James Wan changed that in the Aquaman film where they actually can talk underwater. Mm-hmm. I think that they were just thinking with this film, like, it, how does it... It wouldn't sound right if they were speaking underwater, but I think they kind of somehow fixed it in the James Wan one. Mm-hmm. But I also do like the concept, but they don't do that in the movie. I think, isn't it, don't they speak, but it comes out differently underwater? I don't know. I, I haven't it. seen Waco Man, but now I want to see it. Apparently, it's really good. And then also, there's that great establishing establishing scene with Bruce Wayne because it's these great images from the trailer of Bruce riding a horse throughout this like foreign land, uh, like on an on a glacier or something. And then there's a like one of the best parts of the trailer was him with Arthur Curry, and he says, "I heard you talk to fish." Great scene, but it was snipped so much in the movie the first time it was like a minute long. But in this one, it's like a ten minute scene. You understand a lot about Arthur how he's like this this figure that helps this community and and I think it was vital to the plot of his of his storyline and they also established with this film what led him into the motivations of the Aquaman solo film because in the Aquaman solo film he gains the desire to become king and take the throne. And by the end of the Justice League movie, you understand why because he's become part of this team. he's got he's gained the community and he's changed his perspective on who he is, what kind of responsibility he has to his people. Yeah, you can actually even say that Aquaman and Cyborg are similar characters in this movie because they are both reject rejecting where they're coming from, their families, they're rejecting being part of this team for a while until they both realize that they have to use their abilities and it's their responsibility to use their gifts to help save the world. Yeah, I love that scene in the tunnel when the damn the 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 water bursts through the through the cuz they're under a lake and the water bursts yeah. through the wall and then you're like oh shit are they all going to drown and then aquaman just swims through and he just he stops the water like uh, like Moses part in the red sea yeah he stops it long it enough it's pretty it's pretty badass it's really cool yeah it's a great sequence and i love i love seeing aquaman fight on land uh, you saw he the the action sequence it's kind of similar in the first one, but they added a lot. There's a lot more they shot that they didn't use. And there's a lot of great Arthur stuff in this film, Aquaman stuff, where he's battling these these parademons. And I really love him as a character. I think he adds a great amount of action and, and charisma and just cool to the group. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely the coolest guy there. And speaking of cool, let's talk about Superman. Oh, oh yeah. The, the coolest yeah. of the cool in this movie. <laughs> and the great thing about this film, and I love how Zack Snyder opens it up by showing the death of Superman and then Obviously, his, his scream, the superhuman voice that echoes throughout the entire world, which is what activates the, the mother box. Uh, and it really makes you feel the loss of Superman. And also, we see the loss of Superman throughout the world because they're like billboards and, and symbolism of his S all over the place because people, you know, they've, they've lost a hero. They've lost a god. And we see the memorials and how the one that Lois visits every day with a cup of coffee has been destroyed. And 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 tagged with graffiti and we also feel the loss of superman through martha and through lois and martha visits his grave and i love how simple and small his gravestone is compared to how powerful and and godlike he was which is a great character uh theme because he really is just a good person and wants to be a part of of humanity even though he is a god and then lois's depression and dealing with the loss and grief of clark and from her life and we get little glimpses that she might be pregnant because of the, the pregnancy test in the drawer. And we have the, the really emotional scene of who we think is Martha coming to visit Lois, which was actually Martian Manhunter. Because again, Lois is the key because she is the key to this film and into the Justice League in terms of being able to, to calm Superman down. It's kind of like uh, King Kong in a way, yeah. needing, needing the yeah. right person to calm him down. And so Lois's hurt grief makes us feel the loss of superman even more yeah and she was barely in the first one and you didn't see her until superman's woken up but with this film you understand like she has a she has a perspective too and she was eliminated from the first one so i was happy to see amy adams back and i really love how in this film you have this group of super beings but even compared to Superman, they're nothing. I love how Snyder showed just the immense power that Superman has compared to other super beings. Because when they wake him up and he is uh, and he doesn't remember who he is, so they, and they battle, he, they can't do anything to him. Like all three of like Wonder Woman, Cyborg, and Aquaman are li- literally trying to move him, and he's just like a statue. Like that, you can't do anything to me. And he's looking at the Flash. At yeah, the same and time. he watches the Flash, and so he's as fast as the Flash and stronger than all of them combined. And it really showed like. You can understand Bruce's motivations in Batman v. Superman now because when he is, a, if, if Superman was bad, how do you stop him? Yeah. You can't stop him. He's just immensely powerful and nothing can compete with him. And so I think that scene was really great in showing why Bruce in a way was right with the previous film. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point to bring up because when Superman is evil, which we do get a glimpse of, we get a glimpse of Superman bad when Cyborg... Has the boxes in front of him, and he's wired in, and we get the he gets the future vision, the basically the the nightmare, the the Batman nightmare, or or this other other world of what would happen if right before they're about to wake him up, if they wake him up and he stays evil and he joins forces with Dark Side, and he becomes becomes basically this executioner of Earth in a way for Dark Side, and it also ties to batman's nightmare in batman versus superman that's that dimension that's that world where where superman is again basically the executioner of the planet for dark side and steppenwolf and he rips batman's heart out from his chest i'm pretty much i think that's what happens obviously during that nightmare and it's terrifying to see if he goes bad and we get to see him holding batman's cowl while he's flying by the screen it's so incredible but also so dark yeah and I think it's something that filmmakers had always been afraid to try is a a dark Superman. It happens in the the comics plenty of times. And I thought it was a fascinating tease for why Lois is so important. Because if she never snapped him out of his confusion, probably would have been end of the world, no problem. And I really enjoyed this interpretation of Superman because the first one in the first Justice League was just so out of sync with what he did in Man of Steel. And I really adored the black suit. And the black suit was something that uh, they filmed, but the Joss Whedon ones, they, if anything that had a black suit, they literally painted red and blue yeah. in post-production. So I, I thought it was a great new look for the character. And also, it wasn't just to be cool or to look cool. It had emotional significance to Kal-El because if you remember in Man of Steel, uh, Russell Crowe's character, Jor-El, was wearing a black Superman suit. Like, he, he's, he's wearing the black S, the black suit. So I think that uh, wearing the black suit provides Cal a connection to his family, a connection to his father. It makes him feel as though it could even be one of his father's suits. You know what I mean? and It could be. And so I think that him wearing the black S is him really connecting to his roots as a Kryptonian again. And what I love about the scene where he puts on the black suit and we get the superhero Superman shoot up into the sky yeah. in front of, outside of the of of orbit of Earth and in front of the sun it's an incredible shot and we get to see him you know soak up the sun's sun's warmth and and nourish him and get ready for battle. It's so incredible. You but hear all- the Superman theme, yeah. it's great. But also what I love about the black suit obviously the name of that title of that chapter it's called something darker because i think that the the black suit keeps this mystery alive in superman like could something go wrong in the future if they made justice league 2 justice league 3 could could superman go bad could lois lane die and and maybe his mother die too and superman and clark can't lose their connection to humanity and could he still be bad and i feel like that's what the black suit also represents is that Yes, he's back, but he also doesn't completely fully seem back. Maybe he's like 90, 95 percent back. It just still I think that's what the black suit also represents is the mystery of can he go evil? Yeah, if you look at it that way, the black suit getting rid of the red and blue suit could be he's kind of disconnecting from humanity a little bit. And embracing his Kryptonian. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, that you could definitely think about that. It's, it's very interesting. To think that's about. definitely a possibility of maybe what Zach wanted to do is have Superman go evil in the future. Who knows? Yeah, 100%. What I really love is for, so there's that Superman when he fights the Justice League and Lois shows up and then they fly to his home. It's. Snyder's not afraid to like, let's spend five minutes with Lois and Martha in the cornfields, in the cornfields. It it really brought, it felt like a Man of Steel movie, which I, and I, it has that similar emotional resonance and, and that personal, the personal quality to it. And when he's becoming Cal again, and he's remembering you, it's like when he is, when, when Calo starts smiling, you're like, oh my, he's back. Yeah, and I, this is Superman, and I love how uh, Snyder's cross-cutting him, like still coming to terms with being Superman and Clark Kent again, while the Justice League is battling Steppenwolf in the in Chern- it's Chernobyl, right? Or is it? I think it's some it's outside of Moscow. Yeah, so it's some it's one of those nuclear war yeah, war not sites. Chernobyl example. Yeah, one of those one of those nuclear meltdown sites, and um and they're they're fighting. And Superman is still on his ship and is barefoot. He's just like walking around, like, "Oh, what is this place?" Like, "Oh, I remember, mm-hmm. I remember this." And then he hears his father's, he hears both of his father's voices. He hears his Earth father and he hears Jarl's voice talking to him in his head on the ship. And then Russell Crowe and Kevin Costner actually recorded new dialogue for that scene. Yeah, some things they don't say in the movie. That's cool, and it's great because it it shows what's going on in his head, and it shows that he's remembering who he is and how important both of his fathers, both of his families were to him and becoming Clark Kent and and pursuing and continuing being Kal-El and Superman and again this is it's so badass and I just love how Zack Snyder has that confidence to just have him walking around barefoot while everyone's still fighting wearing <laughs> wearing we're in that flannel. Yeah, <laughs> got to have the the Clark Kent flannel on. Yeah. And then when he shows up to fight Steppenwolf it's like, okay, here we go. This is Superman and he just messes him up and I love how he's using his lasers to to tear apart his armor and even cuts off part of his head. Yeah, I love so the, the first line he says is not impressed. Yeah, <laughs> the axe comes down yeah. and stops right on his chest. Yeah. He's like, "That's all you got, guy." <laughs> it's amazing. It shows like how invincible this guy really is, and, unless he's fighting another Kryptonian. Yeah, and then we, the other characters and like Aquaman's like, "Oh hell yeah, he's here!" And we get to see how powerful Superman really is. It was kind of like everyone. when Thor showed up in Infinity War. Yeah, kind of feeling, kind of at uh in the at the pan at Wakanda, at battle, Wakanda. Wakanda battle. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, in a way, yeah, but also. To compare it to the ori- the 2017 version, this is just becomes so campy. And it's like, oh yeah, we're here, and Superman's like, oh yeah, I'll race you, to Flash, and he's just oh like, my god, R-. he's flying next to Flash and calls him Slowpoke, and it's and just, then it there's that work. there's that Russian family that they're saving at the same time, and it's like, what does that have to do with anything? I know it's just it's just too campy and it's not that great, but you know, it still felt still felt like resonating, and I was still highly engaged with the scene, even though Superman's here. And they're gonna stop Steppenwolf. And we know that we we you know, we all believe they're gonna stop it, but we don't know if is gonna come through that portal. I it's a great moment when Darkseid is watching them and then um Cal out throws uh Steppenwolf's body through the portal and Diana chops his head off and then And Aquaman stabs him with a trident. Yeah, yes. Oh my god, it's so great. And so they all they all take apart in killing him. Yeah. <laughs> and um and then Darkseid looks through the portal at these superheroes and it's like he's he's haunted by the memory of that battle he lost on earth against those ancient gods and you can see kind of like the fear in dark side's face and he's like no nah, i'm good <laughs> he closes the portal up and it's just great because the team's just standing there like come on go ha go ahead and step up man come on and it was a great moment at the ending there's some great additions that zach did after the climax of the film and after he saves the day. and I also love the scene where where Clark's going back to his house and he's like, hey, how'd you get the house back from the bank? And Bruce is like, I bought the bank. It's just (laughs) such a ball of thing to do. It's kind of like Inception Inception with uh, Ken Watanabe's character, Saito. I I bought the airline. airline. (laughs) (laughs) um, There's there's a couple characters we got to talk about, like Martian Manhunter who comes in. He's got two scenes and he's got the scene where he's pretending to be Martha when he talks to Lois and then at the end of the film, when Bruce wakes up from his nightmare, which we'll talk about in a sec, in Martian Manhunter, we think it's, we think Superman is going to be in the sky because we hear the, yeah, the Superman like boom and we see someone floating, but it's it's Martian Manhunter, and and he's talking about how again Lois is the key, and also that war is coming, and that Batman needs to assemble the team, and he wants to be a part of this this Justice League, and he wants to stop being in the shadows, and we find out that he was actually the colonel from Man of Steel the whole time, keeping himself low key. Yeah, he's just been uh living kind of in the shadows, not participating, kinda like Aquaman. And um I like la- this is a great establishment. It's not forced and it it's just, it kind of it's like a very charming little scene. And I love when the- when he shows up and Bruce is just like, Can I help you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> but he's telling him that he needs to find the anti life equation before dark side does and he's prepared to help after being in the shadows and He'll, he'll be in touch with Bruce soon and then he just flies away. And I think just a little background on the Martian Manhunter he's a Mars law enforcement officer who ends up being marooned on Earth and becomes a police detective and superhero um, when he realizes he can't return home. Then now he's part of Justice League. So, but he also, but again, he's played, he, he is the role of ha- Henry Harry Lennox in Man of Steel. Yeah. It's awesome that he reclaimed that role too, that actor. Yeah, I don't think he even knew um, that he was Martian Manhunter at all until he did the audio recording. Probably not. Yeah, and by the way, Ben looks great in that scene. He uh, he. This is after his recovery. Apparently, he was still drinking while making Justice League. He looked like he was still drinking. Yeah, and so he's actually... He looks like he's lost, like, 60 pounds. Yeah, but he also looks like he hasn't been lift. He didn't have enough time to prepare. Yeah, to he's get pretty skinny, yeah. Because he's, obviously, enormous in Justice League. Yeah, yeah. Because he spent months getting in shape for that. Yeah, no need to work out for just one scene wearing a T-shirt. And then we have two other awesome scenes that are so fun, and, and one of them is Lex Luthor escaping from Arkham, and then we see him on a yacht, and... the theme the Lex Luthor theme comes on and he's there with Deathstroke it's a great theme Hans Zimmer crushed that theme it's one of my favorites it has like a Sherlock Holmes kind of vibe to it it's so evil and menacing and then him and Deathstroke have a conversation where Lex Luthor wants wants to work together with Deathstroke and he tells them that it's Bruce Wayne, Batman's Bruce Wayne. And again, this is such a disappointment because Deathstroke was going to be the next the villain in the solo Batman movie that was going to get made. And that would have been such a great movie, I think, because Joe Mangello is an awesome actor. And I would love to see that guy in a full villain film. And then it looks like he was going to have a major role to play um, in the next Justice League movies because he's part of that nightmare sequence with the other actors. Yeah, so the nightmare sequence, again, this is kind of going back to Batman versus Superman. And this was filmed recently. Yeah, and it's it's so it's such a cool scene and and we show that the world was taken over by dark side and and wolf and and superman went evil and they must have and then we even have the the teasing back and forth of joker and batman and how we learn that batman i guess let lois die and that's what caused superman to go bad because lois is the key again lois is the key to keeping clark and keeping kal-el human human it's kind of like the last the last the the makeshift rogue gallery Justice League and even Barry I think Barry Allen's there and then yeah he's got a beard Cyborg is there under the under the thing and so it seems like it's a, they're the last effort to save the planet from Dark Side and they because even though they're all enemies they have to work together and Ben Affleck and Jared Leto actually filmed these scenes in October and the shot of Ezra Miller was filmed um, it was directed by Zack Snyder over Zoom. While Ezra Miller was filming Fantastic Beast, the the new one, and so he was like directing him over Zoom, and they had a crew set up in England, like a little set for Ezra. I think that's why he had, he's like a goatee. Yeah, he's got a different facial. Yeah, that's hair. what he's gonna. That's what he's gonna look like in uh, Fantastic Beast. It's a great scene because it ends with Superman coming up and finding them. Oh, it's like a huge cliffhanger for a movie that's never gonna happen. Yeah, it's too bad because it seems like that's what's gonna happen. Would have happened in Justice League two or three. And it seems like I, my guess it would be like. Just how in Endgame, how they reverse what happened, I bet they somehow used Barry to reverse what happened and restore the Earth. And Jared Leto's Joker, just in this nightmare sequence, is a thousand times better than the Joker in Suicide Squad. I wish we could get an entire Batman Joker movie with him doing that Joker, because it was so creepy and so fun to watch him as the Joker, and I love the way that Zack Snyder shot it. out of focus and like handheld and shaky and I oh, don't know if you noticed the tattoos are gone. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no tattoos. Yeah, yeah, and just the the makeup looks terrific and the hair and I just love this new like kind of interpretation that he did of the Joker. I think he wanted to kind of redeem himself and show people like, okay, you know what? Let me show you what I can do. This is what I really want the Joker to be like. Yeah. Well, he re- he designed the old the old Joker. He was in, he designed everything about it. Oh well, I like this one so much yeah. more. I think he was like, okay, let me show you. I'm I'm a talented actor. Don't talk shit about me. Here's a good version of the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not gonna say that the New Justice Leagues if they'll never happen. Maybe they can figure it out somehow, but I think that Zach put a line in the film from the Joker during the nightmare sequence that kind of hints that maybe it's possible because he's talking about when he's he's basically um enticing Batman into a into a fight to to maybe kill him just to mess with him. And he's saying how many different realities or how many different Timelines, are you gonna fail or are you do you will you not have the the courage to die or sacrifice yourself? He says something like that. So I think what he's trying to say is is that it's okay to have DC use multiple versions of characters in the multiverse. Yeah, multiple yeah. universes and multiple characters. We can have the Batman with Robert Pence and maybe also have a new Batman movie with Ben Affleck and maybe redeeming that rec- reclaiming that role. So I think that maybe he's setting up the possibility that to explain to everybody that. We can do this both ways. We can b- have two Batmans. We can have three Jokers. We can have five Jokers. It's it's gonna be okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that could definitely work out. Because I mean, Michael Keaton's coming back for the the Flash movie, so super cool. So I think that they're kind of opening up all these possibilities. That let's have four Batmans. Why not? All right, you want to do some fun facts for Zack Snyder's Justice League? I would love to. Take it away. In order to keep full creative control and ensure that fans received the most benefit from the Snyder cut, Zack Snyder refused to be paid at all for finishing the Justice League movie, and it took him over a year. And despite directorial credits, Zack Snyder never actually watched Justice League 2017. Reportedly, his wife Deborah Snyder and friend Christopher Nolan, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, advised him to never see it because they came out of a screening and they're like, you can't ever see this movie, you can't ever watch it, it would break your heart. Warner Brothers decided to greenlight Um, the new release because of the fan hunger for the Snyder Cut. Uh, For example, the hashtag release the Snyder Cut received over uh, 180,000 posts. Confirmed in an interview by Deborah and Zack Snyder, the Snyder Cut only has about five minutes of total new footage that they shot, but there are over 2,000 new visual effects shots in the four-hour film that he already shot that weren't used in the movie. Yeah, and that means that, like, Snyder's original cut They never added CGI to it It was just like What It was just the raw footage Mm -hmm. So they spent 70 million to add Special effects to it Yeah and the 2000 shots Weren't used in the 2017 version Yeah and that wraps our Zack Snyder's Justice League episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to go to Raiders RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com and check out all of our content, all of our social media accounts, get our merch, get our movie posters, and become a patron today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take care, everyone. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Hit that subscribe button and notification bell. Listen to the audio formats of Raiders of the Lost Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, google podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts new episodes every monday and thursday support us on patreon at patreon.com slash raiders of the lost podcast